Today on Keep Classical Weird, I talk with Dr. Sophia Taggart about medieval composer and fascinating historical figure, Hildegard von Bingen. Is there any sort of contemporary example that would come close to maybe, you know, comparing hers? My initial, my initial thought was Dionne Warwick. And the reason is, um, <clears throat> Hildegard von Bingen did everything, right? She wrote books about botany. Um, she was a writer. She was a visionary. She composed and did all this stuff. And she was um, connected to the church, okay? And then if you think about Dionne Warwick, she was, she she's a singer, right? So musician. She was a UN global ambassador for like the food and food and agriculture or something. Thing, oh. which is practically botany it's not botany. <laughs> <laughs> welcome friends to the very first episode of keep classical weird i am your host casey bozell and i am so excited to get this started so we're gonna dive right in Seeing as how it's our first episode, I thought I would start with one of the first people you learn about when you open up a music history textbook. As we'll talk about today, she was really unique in a variety of ways. Her name was Hildegard von Bingen. Hildegard von Bingen, named for the city she was raised in, lived from 1098 to 1179. So we're approaching the thousand year anniversary of her birth. She's known not only for her contribution to classical music, but also for being involved and interested in a variety of topics. Her resume lists her as a nun, a composer, a mystic, a writer, and a philosopher. Politicians of that era sought her guidance. She was sainted by the Catholic Church. She experienced visions deemed to be prophetic, and she achieved fame and notoriety in the Middle Ages as a woman. I knew I would want to dive into this with someone who is not only well-versed in early music, but just excited in general about this fascinating person. And this won't be the last episode where I dive in deep with a historical figure. So I went about securing a resident music historian for Keep Classical Weird. I am fortunate that Dr. Taggart is a good friend of mine, and she graciously agreed to jump on the phone to discuss us some Hildegard. The story is that she got tied to the church because she was the 10th child, right? So 10% of your earnings goes to the church. Therefore, 10 children, you send one of them to the church. She was... German speaking, uh, and lived and is from an area in Germany that I honestly don't remember because uh, she then became Hildegard of Bingen, which is where she was located. She is famous because she was a composer, a nun, a mystic, a botanist, a writer, uh, a theologian. She was kind of a Renaissance woman before the renaissance (laughs) that's amazing what can you maybe describe what a mystic is for us Uh, um she was known for having visions um 
that she attributed to messages from God. And so uh, she just had a very spiritual side to her, and she wrote down these these visions. Um, and they were usually messages uh, about the faith, because she was a nun. So, no. Okay, so that is very tied in, because sometimes when you hear that someone's a mystic, at least today, you don't tie that indirectly to like religion right it's the opposite it's it's what you think of you think of like the mystical arts or something and and you think of the witch trials in salem you know or you know these horrible things that were persecuted by the church but but back then it was it, it was different today one hears the word mysticism and immediately the concept seems incompatible with religion But it's such a different age. There was no central source, database, internet, anything for one to reference when trying to learn more about how the church really worked. So if mysticism helped bring about local interest in a religious message, the Catholic Church was all for it. There were all these different uh, places in Europe and you couldn't the church couldn't take control of each one and say, no, what you're saying is not right. You know, it, it didn't have that far reaching hold that it can now. So if someone kind of popped up and was known as um, a mystic and they were a nun and writing music and they were getting these visions from God, uh, they became kind of like a local hero And so the church coming in later isn't going to say, no, that's all, you know, bull honky. So it's, it's kind of a different way of looking at it. When the information is so quick to be heard about, people can, you know, squelch it. But at a time where maybe her reputation preceded her for a long time, the church isn't going to view that as a threat and think, oh, she's dabbling in bad things you know so do you think the church it actually viewed it as like oh she's someone that we should kind of lift up and use to spread our our message rather than say oh you're you're saying it wrong yeah exactly and in fact she was known for having um a really good relationship with a lot of the church leaders which was a rare thing in general at that time but more so because she was a woman. I don't really understand how it happened, but all of the things that she did should have freaked the church out. But for some reason, they just, the church just felt like she was a good voice for the church maybe, or a good, a good person to spread, spread the liter, uh, the, the message, the doxology. I don't know. I she's a baffling person to me, which I think she might have been a mystic herself, but I think just her place in history also creates a sense of of mysticism. Wow. Yeah, so would you is there evidence to suggest that she was like really popular in Bingen, I guess? Yeah, yes. Well, cuz she established a convent there. She grew up in the church, and she uh, started composing at a young age and writing at a young age. And so she asked if she could take the women and instead
instead of staying at that monastery, like, go start a new one. And her higher up said, no, you can't do that. So she <laughs> decided to, like, ask the guy above her, or uh, the guy above that guy. He, she just goes, like, oh, well, you're not letting me do what I want, so I'm going to just ask your boss. And so <laughs> she, <laughs> so he, so they gave her permission to start this new convent. And so she was definitely um, a higher up person. And people respected her. And I think it's because she was well-known in the area. She had been growing up in the area forever. And she even traveled around and, like, gave public talks, which is also super rare for women. Um, Yeah, she's just, uh, uh, she was just one of those people that seemed to not be hindered by the fact that she was unfortunately a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Classical music aside, Hildegard is historically fascinating, but her music, her actual compositions, are some of the most recorded in history. So I asked Dr. Taggart about her specific contributions to classical music. She's actually one of the people that I always put on my music history tests where I ask the students, who was she and why was she important? And um, there's multiple answers for all of that, right? But the two things that I think make her incredibly important uh, is number one is the fact that she was a woman composer, you know, at a time where the people who were composing were generally monks uh, um, living in monasteries and they were just writing chants. So the fact that she was breaking into this male dominated field uh, says a lot, not just in music, but in other areas as well. And then the other thing that I think is really important and I, I think it's related to the fact that she's a woman in a male-dominated field, is that she started taking ownership of what she was writing up until that point. The monks would write music and they wouldn't put their name to it. It was anonymous because they were transcribing stuff coming from God. Um, and as we know with Hildegard, she did, you know, view her visions as being received from God. But um, with her music, she put her name on it. She said, God gave me this, but I I wrote it. See my name? That's right there. <laughs> That's, yeah. That seems different. So, that seems so yeah. radically different. Yeah, and it's, it for me, the, the sense of ownership that she takes over what she's producing is, is a really amazing concept because uh, it definitely wasn't part of, of the musical realm for quite a while. And, um, and since then the ideas of ownership and music have just changed dramatically over the last 1000 years. I mean, it's just amazing how that shifts from generation to generation. And I feel like she is the one who brought us back to that place of taking ownership. One facet that we have not touched on yet is Hildegard's art. She was also an artist, because of course she was. And with a modern perspective, there's something very particular about it. I'm a migraine sufferer. Do you suffer Me too. from... Are you? Okay. Hey, yeah. do you get the, the aura, the visual aura? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. have you seen this art that she's created mm-hmm. where it's it appears that she's she's labeled it that this, you know, this is a vision of angels, but there's a lot of indications in the art to say like, oh, this was that she was actually having a migraine at the time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Every, everything I've seen so far of her, um, it looks exactly like what I get when I get the aura, uh, the migraines with the auras. And I just, I'm so, I, that's what I find that so fascinating because, you know, me growing up in the 20th century and now we're in the 21st century. Um, when I first started getting the migraine, my migraines, of course, I'm going to immediately say, Oh, migraine because we know that's what it is and you know then you look it up on the internet and it's like oh yes you have a migraine and so of course I'm looking at it from an informed perspective and having outside information help me decipher what is going on but then if you think back to her time period someone who was tithed to the church only knows really like the church her entire life and something is abnormal that she finds out other people don't have, of course you're going to think it's from a vision from God or visions of angels or something. Um, because that is what your world would lead you to think. Right. So with that said, I wish, I, I wish that my aura migraines would have been, way more exciting. I wish I would have been able to think, oh, I'm getting these because I'm getting a vision. That's, that's amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a little jealous of her to be able to, you know, come up with this, this side of what migraines are, because we all know they aren't that exciting. Um, but the, visually they're stunning. I mean, when I start getting them, they're, they're just like flashes and halos around everything. And, and, um, and there's, there's one, uh, drawing I saw where it was like a man on a horse or something and it was all dark and, and, you know, prickly around it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I've totally seen that. Maybe not a guy on a horse, but you know, that, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that element. So, oh yeah, I don't know. Definitely migraines. So about that Dionne Warwick connection, is she in some form or another a reincarnation of Hildegard von Bingen? Well, Dr. Tager does have one more piece of pretty compelling evidence. I think the thing that really sums it up is that she was also the spokesperson for a bunch of infomercials about the psychic network. So you have this person who was tied to this these visions as well. Now, Dionne Warwick was herself not a psychic, but she uh, she definitely profited from being the spokesperson for it, just like Hildegard kind of profited in her career for being this visionary. So for me, there's so many parallels between these two women. I, I, the fact that I think Dionne Warwick and Hildegard von Bingen are somehow related because of that it's I love it yeah that was such a fascinating conversation thank you so much Dr. Taggart for joining us to talk about Hildegard it was my pleasure and that is our show today so many thanks to Dr. Taggart at Washington State University the theme music you're hearing is by the incomparable Thomas Barber check him out at thomasbarber.com Web development support was provided by Tina from citybeautifuldesign.com. Keep Classical Weird is created and edited by me, Casey Bozell. 
Find it on Instagram and on our website, keepclassicalweird.com. For more music appreciation in a bite-sized form, you can subscribe to my Patreon at Casey Bozell. That's patreon.com slash C-A-S-E-Y-B-O-Z-E-L-L. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe and stay weird. Stay weird.